0: Hey, Mile City family, extra mile 1-8 vision. What in the world is that? Before Jesus ascended into heaven uh, in Acts 1-8, he told his disciples that I'm going to give you my power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Mile City family, if you didn't know, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's right. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And because of that, we now can be his witnesses, but not just in our little circle of Jerusalem, but he calls us to expand that and multiply that to the ends of the earth. And I'm super excited this year to share with you the vision that God has given us to multiply and expand to the ends of the earth.
1: Hey Mile City family, my name is Oscar Luna, and this is my wife Ruby Luna, and we're excited to be a part of this beautiful family. Un año atrás, llegamos desde Texas con el único sueño de plantar una iglesia en español. Nuestro estado tiene más de medio millón de familias hispanas, las cuales Dios ha puesto en nuestro corazón y a nuestra iglesia la confirmación de que es el momento para comenzar a impactarlas. And it is just the beginning. Over the past few months, we've been showing God's love through different programs, through ESL, through food banks, through giving clothing to the refugees that are coming in, which is a lot of them that are coming in. And we've been seeing the eagerness for community, the hunger for something different. And together, I believe we can continue to reach more Hispanic families and help them move towards God. So we are so excited to see how God's gonna move in our Hispanic community here in Miles City.
0: Hey everyone, we are Maya and Jess Williams and God moved our family here to Michigan a little over four years ago to help run our Mile City Lion location. Never since we moved into this spot a little over a year and a half ago, we've seen God do so many incredible things in this space. We're so thankful that God gave us a space to be able to experience and witness those things, right babe? So true.
1: Uh, I just love the community here and I love our Sunday mornings after service, being able to come out into the lobby and really just continue those relationships, have conversations and just grow together. Uh, But if we're really honest, that's been a little bit complicated here at our Lion location. Our space is small, our our, our lobby is cozy, and it's a real tension.
0: Yeah, it's a real tension, the battle. So that's why we're so excited for this next year and our Extra Mile Giving campaign as we watch God do what he's going to do and expand this space
1: so we can continue to help people move towards God.
0: Hey everybody, my name's John and this is my wife, Leslie. And we've been part of Miles City for over four years now and we have loved everything that we've experienced. And as you all know, church planting has been part of the DNA of Miles City from the very beginning, which is why I'm excited to announce that Leslie and I are in residency to plant a church, but not just any church. We're gonna plant a new location of Miles City. And if you're like me, I'm sure your very next question would be why?
1: We love Mile City. We love how Mile City is a part of the community and has a heart to reach people for Jesus and help people move towards God. And we want to take that same DNA and bring it to a new area, to a new community, so that people in that area can have the same experience and have the same resources to move towards God. And we want to be a part of that.
0: We are so excited to be expanding our church family and planting a brand new location of Mile City, Lord willing, in 2025. Hello, Miles
1: City. My name is David and this is my beautiful wife, Henrietta. and we are happy to be here with you. We live in Liberia in West Africa and God had us doing his job Planting churches, helping churches to grow, but then we had a bad civil war, came to the United States. And God, in His wisdom, led us to my City, and here at Mars City, God is touching our heart to go back on the feet to plant more churches. <laughs> If you have Jesus, you have everything. There are lots of women in my country today that were abused, that were raped, and the hurt and the separation had caused them to be far away from God. There were children in my country that held arms in their hands to kill women and children because they didn't know the truth. My burden is to let these children know the love of God. Because it is only the love of God that can bring the difference. It is only the love of God that can change the world. So I'm happy to be a part of the Bowman team, and my family and myself, we are ready to go, ready to go on a feet for the Lord, in Jesus' name. The lostness of man is the same everywhere, just as it is here, so is in Africa. In West Africa right now, there are about 443 million people in West Africa other than majority of the young people who are ages 25 and below are in the majority and they do not know Jesus because most of these people are people group who have never ever heard the gospel and this is where our heart is that with my city we can reach back to these people and give them Jesus because how will they hear and no one go to them the harvest is ready so we got to have uh,
0: Well, wow, did you catch all that? This is unbelievable what God is putting in front of us as a church family. And I just want you to know, we didn't conjure this up out of thin air. This is literally what he's put in front of us, and we're just trying to be good stewards of that. And so in order for us to accomplish this multiplying to the ends of the earth, Acts 1-8 vision, it's gonna take all of us being involved, 100% of us. Uh, We're obviously gonna need prayer above and beyond. We're gonna need people to step up above and beyond. And we're gonna need pennies above and beyond. In fact, this will be the largest initiative that we've ever gone for as a church family because we're gonna need a little over a half a million dollars to accomplish this vision. And so we're asking all of us uh, to prayerfully consider and hear from God what it looks like for us to give a 1-8 above and beyond commitment. And that can look different. Uh, we're going to need each of us to give at every different level. So for instance, if every single adult, let's say 800 adults in our church family gave eighty every day above and beyond their normal giving, we would surpass our goal. But we also know that not everyone can do that. So we're gonna need all these different levels to come into play for us to meet this goal. And so Mile City family, uh, I-, I just wanna ask you, what would it look like for you to go the extra mile for this 1A vision this year? And I'm just asking all of us to prayerfully consider and hear from God, to go extra in hearing from God of what it would look like for you to be his witness, what it would look like for your family to be his witness, to go the extra mile for this 1-8 vision, to take his gospel, to take his message to this lost world who needs Jesus so desperately from our Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, good morning, Mile
2: City. And on your chairs, you'll see one of these cards that says, Acts 1-8, to the ends of the earth. And we are so excited about this opportunity that God's given us this year. And and to see the opportunities we have to not only reach this community for Christ, but also reach the world for Christ. And so if you haven't met them, Oscar and Ruby are in our church. Uh, Ruby's over here today. She's sitting over here. Oscar doesn't come to church, but Ruby does. And so we are so excited. (laughs) That she comes to church, but no, uh, Oscar's getting ready. They've already started meeting on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock. They're gonna officially launch in February. And just so you know, over the past couple of weeks, they've had over sixty people here both weeks. And so it's exciting to see them reaching that community for Christ. And we are so thrilled that we get to partner with them. And then uh Maya and Jess over there in Lion, if you haven't been there, that lobby is way too small. People that are smarter than us do studies and they say that your lobby should be about the same size as your auditorium. We're pretty close here. Over there, they're not even anywhere near close. And so they need that space so that people feel more comfortable. Community can be built and it will affect who comes and, and, and feels comfortable coming. And then John and Leslie are out in lion as well right now being a part of Mile City Lion. and God's just done some great things in their lives. If you haven't had a chance to meet them, John spoke here several times. They've been in our church Um, Served in almost every location, and then David and Henrietta are sitting down here. And if you haven't met David, the first thing he did Monday night was give Travis a hard time, and so he is a great guy. All right, and so you just need to meet—you need to meet them. But the fact that God brought them over here 20 years ago, and now they're wanting to go back to share the gospel and, and to help train pastors, and they found our church through somebody in our congregation here in Livonia having a yard sale and having a Mile City sign out there and talking to them about our church. And so if you, ever t- if you say, hey, I recognize them people. I talk to them. Let us know because we're really trying to figure out who did that. But somebody in Livonia had a yard sale, and they were there. And so it's a big endeavor. Half a million dollars sounds very intimidating, but we serve a big God. And so Travis did break it down, and it's, it's simple. It's broken down on this card as well. For some of us given six hundred and fifty over the year, that's two cups of coffee a week at Starbucks. That's what it breaks down to. And or anymore it's one fast meal one fast food meal out is what you're giving up a week to give that. For some of you that's nothing. You can do that without even thinking about it. For others that would be a huge sacrifice. But what we do want to encourage you is to take these cards today and begin praying about what God would want you to do. Some of you, you already might know, like, hey, I already know I've been praying about it since Monday night. I'm ready to turn it in. That's great. You can turn it into us today. But we want you to pray about it because we think that, that what God's called us to do, we've prayed about it. We've talked about it. We've prayed about it some more. And we really feel like this is the direction that God wants us to go. And so we're trusting that God's going to provide this. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of this because we're reaching this community for Christ. We're not doing this to make Mile City's name great. We're doing this because we want people to know Jesus. And so today I want us to pray together. And then I'm just I'm begging you as your pastor to pray over this. And just see what God wants you to do. But let's let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we're so thankful and grateful for who you are. I thank you for your faithfulness in our life and for your provision and for your patience to us. And God, I just ask that you would work in our hearts and lives um, when it comes to this Extra Mile initiative this year, Lord. As we think about Acts 1-8 and the way that the disciples felt at this point when you were heading back to heaven... And giving this commission to them, Lord, encouraging them to go out and reach the world with the truth of the gospel and how intimidating and how daunting that must have been. But Lord, they were faithful to what you had called them to do. God, I ask that we as a church will be faithful to what you've called us to do. And that's to reach not only this community for Christ, but also communities around the world. And we thank you for the opportunities that we have. And Lord, bringing folks into our congregation that have a heart to reach others. And I just ask that we would be faithful in what you've called us uh, with our finances, Lord. Uh, for many, this would be a sacrifice to give anything towards this, Lord. And I just ask that you would allow us to see your faithfulness and and the great things that you can do even when we're faithful in small things. And Lord, we are excited to see uh, these churches planted and these things happen over the next year and two and even beyond that to see those that have come to Christ because of Uh, Your name being great, Lord. And today, we just ask that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be in tune, and Lord, that you would speak to us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. While waiting at the airport terminal for her plane to begin boarding, a woman sat reading a newspaper. Earlier, she had purchased a package of cookies in the airport snack shop to eat. After she got on the plane, out of the corner of her eye, she noticed that the man sitting next to her was eating a cookie. She looked down and noticed that her package of cookies had been opened and the man was eating them. The woman couldn't believe that the man would have such nerve as to eat her cookies. So that she wouldn't lose all of her cookies to the man, she slowly reached over, took a cookie and ate one herself. To her amazement, though, the man continued to eat more cookies. Getting more and more irritated, finally the woman removed all but one cookie from the package and ate them. At that point, the man reached down and he took the last cookie. Before eating it, though, he broke it in half and left half the cookie for the woman. This made her so angry, she grabbed the empty package with a half cookie and crammed it in her purse. Then to her shock, she noticed that there in her purse was her unopened package of cookies. <laughs> now, in life, sometimes we find it easy to be quick to judge others, especially when it comes to people doing wrong. And sometimes when we're that quick to judge others, we kind of lose sight of what Jesus has done for us. The day if you're Here with us for the first time at Mile City, we thank you for being a part of our service. We're in the middle of the book of John almost. We're in John chapter 8 today and we're in a series called Lawbreaker and we're just looking how Jesus kind of blew expectations out of the water. We come to this passage in John chapter 8 and the Pharisees and the scribes, those were the religious people of the day. Those were the ones that had really studied the Old Testament law, knew exactly what it says knew exactly how all the Jews should be living. They're quick to judge someone else. And they bring someone that had no doubt committed a sin. But the issue was why they were judging this person, the motives behind their judgment. They came to Jesus and they wanted to use this woman as a pawn to get to Jesus. They wanted to trip him up. They weren't so much concerned about what she did It was more of something that was convenient for them to get at Jesus. See, they were bothered by the fact that Jesus was gaining popularity and that people were coming to hear what he had to say and that they were losing their power and their sway over people. And so they were anxious to throw him under the bus. And through this story, we see their heart. We see what their motives were. But more importantly, we see the heart of Jesus through this story as well. When we think about it and when we think about our motives sometimes for the things that we do, especially when it comes to looking at the sins of others, what's the motivation behind that? Do we find pleasure in pointing out the wrong in others to make ourselves look better? Uh, For you that know me, know that I am a button pusher. If I know that you have a button that will irritate you, I'm going to do all that I can to push that button as many times as possible until the Holy Spirit or my wife tells me to stop. And usually my wife speaks before the Holy Spirit. But Sometimes we're like that though, aren't we? When we look at someone, when I look at this story, I wish that I would have been the guy with the cookies that would have broke one off, but I probably would have been more like the woman who was angry thinking someone was eating my cookies. It was ironic that it was an airport. The last couple of weeks I got to go on uh, some flights down to Houston. And um, I find the older I get, the less I enjoy flying. Okay? I feel like they've put an inordinate amount of seats into planes these days. It's not even fair. I feel like they've crammed them in as close as their body. And when you look at me, I have a first class body. You might not realize that I have a first-class body, but I have an econo-class wallet. And so I end up flying on these planes crammed into these seats, and I'm so uncomfortable. In two of my three flights, it was a direct flight down there, and then coming home, it was two flights back. Two of the three were literally there was not one empty seat on the plane. Why do all these people want to go to Houston? And, And coming back from Houston, why in the world do all these people want to go to Chicago? But they did. And it was so crowded that you couldn't bring in your bag because I'm in like boarding class next to last basically. And so you got, okay, you got to check your carry on. And because all the overhead bins are full, well, then I got my backpack that I have to try to cram under the seat in front of me so that my size 12 feet cannot move the whole flight, but stay perfectly still for four hours. And I find myself quick to judge other people on these flights. Why do they need so much room and why are they so late and why do they think the whole world revolves around them? And the funny thing was I was studying this passage on judging others on the plane and the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. He goes, hey, knucklehead, I love them just as much as I love you. So today, as we look at this story... This story not only tackles our relationship with Jesus, but it also tackles our relationship with others. So I want to challenge you today to ask yourself this question. Do I look at forgiveness the same way that Jesus did? Do I look at forgiveness the same way that Jesus did? Many times our view of forgiveness is affected by how we were raised. Some of you were raised in houses that were full of forgiveness and grace. And so you have a great understanding what forgiveness should look like and you model that in your life while others of us we've never experienced that kind of grace and mercy and forgiveness in our life so it's difficult for us to understand that regardless of who you are I think today that you'll be encouraged by this passage because the ultimate example of forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ and in this story we're going to see that and it's going to help us understand what forgiveness should look like in our life So if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you open it up to John chapter number eight, we're going to read the last verse of chapter seven, and then we're going to read the first 11 verses of John chapter eight today. Now, some of you might have a translation or a version of the Bible that says, Hey, this, this was not found in the earliest manuscripts. This shouldn't be here. A couple things. Number one, no one has ever seen the original manuscripts that's alive today so you can't tell me that this wasn't found in the original manuscripts because you didn't see them okay and I can there are manuscripts where it is found and so I believe that it belongs in scripture now some would say maybe it doesn't belong in the flow right here maybe it's kind of inserted into here maybe John didn't write it maybe somebody else did That's a discussion for another time, but I do believe that this is a part of Scripture because, for one, it doesn't say anything contrary to the nature of Jesus compared to the rest of the Bible. For two, I'm going to trust that, hey, this this looks like something that Jesus would do. It makes sense, and so this is where it's at in Scripture, so this is when we're going to tackle it. So John chapter 7, verse number 53, and then John chapter 8, it says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher. Now, to be honest, this was probably a sarcastic remark by the Pharisees. They didn't look at Jesus as a teacher. They looked at him as a charlatan, as a fake, as an imposter. They said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test them that they might have some charge to bring against them. Right off the bat, we see the reality of the controversy. The Pharisees are desperate to trap Jesus. They're desperate to catch him in something that he can't get out of, something he can't explain his way out of. When we look at this woman caught in adultery, it brings up several questions. We do know if you study the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter number 22, it does say that a woman who is betrothed or engaged to be married, if she is caught in adultery, she should be stoned. So that was true. That was the method of death for those caught, method of death for those caught. But it also says in Deuteronomy 22 that it wasn't just the woman that was to be stoned. It was also the man to be stoned as well that she was caught in adultery with. So where is he in this story? Why was it he brought before Jesus? Why did he seem to be nowhere to be found? Put yourself in this girl's situation. More than likely, this is a young girl. She's engaged to be married. She's probably very young. Here she's brought to Jesus. The other hard part about this story, if you look in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 5, it tells us in order for someone to be put to death for adultery, they had to be caught in the actual act of adultery. It couldn't be a rumor It couldn't be, oh, I saw her leaving his house, or I saw him leaving her house. You had to witness the actual act of adultery. You had to walk in on somebody committing adultery. That was the standard for someone to be put to death. Pretty tough standard there. So if we put together that the man can't be found, he's nowhere to be found, and they caught her in the act, it sounds like this was a setup. It sounds like this had been prearranged for them to catch this girl so that they, in turn, could catch Jesus. And really, there were two sins committed. Yes, the sin of adultery and also the sin of selective judgment in order to warp the truth. See, the reality was something far greater than what the scribes and the Pharisees were wanting Jesus to hear. Now, this does not excuse the sin of adultery. Adultery is a sin. What this woman did was sin, and it was punishable by death. There's no way around it. According to Mosaic law, according to the law of the Jews, this was what should happen to her. She should be put to death. Matthew Henry, a theologian from years gone by, said this, better our sins should shame us than damn us. This was a very shameful thing that she did. There's no question about that. We're not trying to downplay the sin of adultery. The act of adultery was wrong. But the attitude of the Pharisees was sin as well. To set this up and use this woman as a pawn in their desire to trap Jesus was unbelievable. See, they wanted the people to turn against Jesus. They understood that, hey, these people are following Jesus because he's some guy that's telling them you don't have to follow the law. That he's fulfilling the law. That the law through him, he is the fulfillment. He's the Messiah. They, they love his compassion. They love his miracles. So let's trap them. Because if he says to stone her, then he's going to look hard and mean. And all these people that are following him just because they like his message, they're going to walk away. But then if he says don't stone her, he's going against the law of the Jews. We have it in writing. If you look up Deuteronomy chapter 22 and Numbers chapter 5, it's in there. It's, It's in black and white. Doesn't matter what version you got. It's in there. So we've got them. A couple things with that is a problem, though. Number one, the Pharisees and the scribes had no authority to execute anybody. The Romans took it away from them. Say, so how do you know that? Well, when they wanted to crucify Jesus, who did they have to go to to get permission for it to happen? The Romans. They had to make sure it was okay for them to crucify Jesus. So they had no authority. So... If Jesus decided to stone this woman, he'd be in trouble with the Romans, which was just good enough for them, too, because then he'd be thrown in jail. Their motivation behind this was to catch Jesus. It wasn't this woman's actions. It wasn't to keep their community holy and right before God. It was to prove Jesus was wrong and a fraud. Why not bring, why bring the woman? before Jesus, why not just ask him the question without bringing her into the midst of all these people? Why was that so necessary? Well, they wanted the theater. They wanted the spectacle. They wanted the audience for the greatest effect possible. They wanted Jesus caught. So let's keep reading. The second part of John eight and verse number six says this, Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him Who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. What sticks out from this passage is first of all, it says Jesus bent down. I'm sure this woman was here laying before him or kneeling before him, and Jesus stoops to her level. He doesn't stand above her, but he bends down onto her level. It reminds me of the fact that Jesus was in heaven and he saw the condition of us and he came to earth to be with us. It's a little foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do with his death on the cross. But then the question is, he begins to write in the dirt, is what did he write? And the writer doesn't give us the answer. We don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand. Some say it might have been the Ten Commandments. Some say it could have been the sins of the men that brought her. There are even some out there that if you look at the Greek, it it seems to imply he was just kind of doodling in the sand. He might not have been writing anything. Why was he doing this? Probably to diffuse the situation. Can you imagine the emotion involved? This crowd around Jesus in the temple, and here come all the religious leaders with this woman and throw her there, and probably yelling at Jesus, like, hey, she deserves to be stoned. What are you going to do about it? So basically, Jesus is causing the crowd to take a breath. And then he makes that famous statement. He who's without sin, let him throw the first stone. This idea here is some believe it's the, the the translation of the original language would be like he who's without sin in this situation. Hey, guess what? She deserves to be stoned. The law says it. So you, as the righteous judge, you throw the first rock. That's pretty tense. In my mind's eye, I imagine they're in the temple. I don't think there's a lot of extra stones laying around the temple for them to chuck at this woman. So, did they show up with their own rocks in their hands, just ready to go? Were they going to stone her right here on the spot? Were they going to take her and throw her off a cliff like normal and then drop rocks on her? I don't know. It's a very tense situation. Jesus basically is saying, You're right, she should be stoned. So all of you righteous judges, go ahead and throw the first rock. Probably got pretty quiet. So the passage goes on in verse number eight, and it says this. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, it's funny, it says he wrote on the ground and then they heard it. I don't know what they heard. It must have been the Holy Spirit speaking to them at that point. They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Second thing we see in this passage is the reaction from the conviction. There's two reactions here. The first reaction is that of the Pharisees and the scribes. When they became convicted of their unrighteousness, of their sin, instead of going to Jesus, they walked away. Can you imagine the silence that was over the crowd or maybe people craning and trying to see what Jesus was writing in the dirt and all of a sudden the leaders of the Pharisees and scribes, the old guys, the ones that were, should have known better, they start just fading away until finally there was just Jesus and the woman standing there. See, their conviction drove them away from Jesus, but her conviction drove her to Jesus. She knew she was guilty. Nowhere in this story does it ever say she denies it. She knew she was condemned. She knew she deserved to be put to death. And yet the conviction of her sin drove her to Jesus. Look how the story ends. Verse number 10. Jesus stood up and said to her woman, "Where are they? Has no one condemned you?" And she said, "No one, Lord." Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Last thing we want to see is the result of forgiveness. The result of forgiveness. Many of us, we might look at this statement, and it might get a hold of us as a warning, like, hey, I've forgiven you this time, but don't be doing this anymore. Many of us, we've probably thought that before when we've forgiven somebody, huh? Well, I'll forgive you this time, and maybe I'll forgive you a second time, but you're pushing your limits if you ask for a third. And what she was caught doing, to be honest, was a big deal. So sometimes when you see this statement, go and sin no more, you start thinking about the fact that, hey, Jesus was telling her, don't be doing this anymore. But when we stop and we really look at it, this wasn't a warning, but it was an invitation to a life that had experienced grace. She knew what she had done wrong. She had experienced the shame, the judgment of others, and here is the Savior extending grace. Welcoming welcoming her into a relationship with him. To be honest, um, I was this woman. I was. For some of you, you know that. For some of you that don't know my story, I committed adultery. Six years ago, the reason we moved to Michigan was not just for a change of scenery. It was to get a fresh start. And I wish that I understood then, what I understand now about grace. See, God through His grace forgave me. My wife, through her grace, forgave me. And it's only by the grace of God and my wife that I'm here today. And sometimes we need to understand that it's not an invitation to go and sin no more, it's an invitation to live a life that has experienced grace. Because when we experience grace, we understand why we don't want to sin no more. Paul understood this in Romans 5 and verse number 20. He said this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace abounded all the more. What an incredible thing. All her accusers had left, and instead of experiencing condemnation from the Savior she experienced grace. And because of this grace, this is why she could go on and sin no more. Don't forget the grace before you expect someone not to sin anymore. So there's three things from this story that I want to encourage you to see. Three things that we can apply to our life. First thing is this. Ask ourselves this question. Do we judge others from a heart of restoration or retaliation? Do we judge others from a heart of restoration or retaliation? If you're a parent in here, you understand that there are going to be times that your kids do wrong and that you have to correct them and that you have to. to, In that correction, a lot of times there's punishment. But the correction and punishment come not because you want to retaliate because you're upset with your kids. It comes because you want to restore the relationship that you have with them. I grew up in a house where my dad would spank me up to a certain age when I messed up. Now some of you disagree, agree. I don't, we're not going to discuss that. It's, it's, it's your opinion and that's between you and God. But I got beat with a belt on my butt. Three B's. But I'd never understood as a kid why my dad would send me to my room and make me sit in there for a while. As a kid, I thought it was because he wanted me to just have stew on it. So I would have to sit there and think about I was about to get my butt whipped and it was going to hurt. What I found out was as a parent, my dad was having me sit in there so he could take a breath. Because he didn't want to punish me out of retaliation. He wanted to punish me out of restoration. I can say there was very few times that my father punished me in anger. There was a few. But most of the time, I'm thankful that he had me go sit in the room for a while. Paul understood this when he wrote to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, it says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should what? Restore. Not retaliate. Not... Kick to the curb, not be done with. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The purpose of judging someone, there's going to be times that we have to point sin out in people's lives. There's going to be times that we have to sit down and talk with them and say, hey, I've noticed you've been doing this. This isn't right. But our motive, our heart behind that should be to restore their relationship with God, not to retaliate. Here's the second thing we can take away from this. Don't let the conviction of sin drive you away from the Savior, but to Him. How do we respond to conviction in our life? I have to be honest, when all my stuff hit the fan, I wanted to run. In fact, I did. Packed a bag and left. I was done. But thankfully, I didn't run for long. Thankfully, I had people in my life that loved me and cared for me and reached out to me. And I had parents that loved me. And I had a wife that wanted our relationship restored. And I ran back to the Savior. Savior. You know, David, when you read Psalms, I'm going through Psalms this month in my devotions, and Psalms, every other Psalm, it seems like it's this mountaintop experience or a valley experience. Either David's on top of a man, all his enemies are dead meat, and he's conquering everything that comes into his life. Or, Lord, why have you forgotten me down here in the valley? They're killing me. I, I don't know what to do, Lord. But there are some Psalms that are extremely intense. One of them is Psalm 51. David commits adultery with a woman, gets her pregnant, and then has her husband killed in battle. I mean, that's pretty bad. And the prophet Nathan, he tries to cover it all up like no one will ever know. The prophet Nathan comes to him and points out his sin and he's convicted of his sin and he writes Psalm 51. And look what he said in 51.10. He said, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When we're convicted of our sin, do we run from Jesus or do we run to him? To be honest, some of you sitting in here today, you're running from Jesus. You know what you're doing is wrong. You just keep running farther and farther away. The thing you need to understand is Jesus isn't condemning you. He's already forgiven that sin. He's loving you. He wants you to come back. Here's the last thing. Forgiveness rests on understanding and grace. What does that mean? Well, there's a story in the New Testament. Jesus goes to this house of a Pharisee and he eats dinner with him or eats lunch with him or something. And this woman comes in and this woman is so overtaken by her emotions that she washes the feet of Jesus with her tears. Not only that, she uses her hair to dry his feet. Now, you got to think about it. they're walking around in sandals. They're dusty. Their feet are dirty. And then she anoints his feet with ointment. And some of the Pharisees and some other people sitting around, Jesus hears them talk and say, if he knew who that woman was, he wouldn't let her touch her. Her reputation is horrible. And Jesus tells the story of two guys that are forgiven a debt. One had a large debt, one had a small debt. And he asked the people around him, he said, who do you think understands forgiveness more who do you think is going to be more excited about their debt being forgiven? The one with a large debt or the one with a little Of course, the person with the large debt. And so then this is what he says to him in verse number 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Forgiveness takes understanding. Sometimes we need to step back from the situation and try to understand where this person is coming from. You think this woman thrown here, caught in adultery, needed someone else to give her a message about how bad she was and how terrible she was and what the terrible thing she just did. You don't think she understood that? He understood the situation she came from. He understood this woman that anointed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and then put ointment on his feet. He understood where she was coming from. Doesn't just stop with understanding, though it also includes grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Sometimes people don't deserve forgiveness. Listen, the sins that this woman committed, these are the sins that put Jesus on the cross. He understood that in a few days, he would be put on a cross and crucified for the exact same thing this woman just did. This is why he had to die. This is why his father had to turn his back on him while he's hanging on a cross. If you think anybody had the right to judge her and say she should be stoned, it would be Jesus because she had wronged him. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve her not doing and keeping the law. She made that choice and yet he still understood where she was at and showed her grace. And today, you might be needing some grace in your life. And I can tell you from personal experience, you can't do anything to deserve it. I don't deserve to be here today. I don't. It's only by the grace of God that I stand here today before you. I promise you that. We can't do anything to earn the grace of God. And for some of you, you might be sitting here today struggling with sin in your life and you don't know what to do with it. Can I encourage you? God's already paid the price for it. He doesn't want you to have to pay the price. In fact, he came to die for your sin. He paid the price. Because he loves you. Today, if you've never made that choice to give your sin over to him and say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I want to confess this sin to you and I want to give my life to you. If you've never made that choice in your life, today you can't. But what about us that know Jesus? Hey, I have no doubt when I was a young man, I gave my life to Christ, but I still ran from him. You want to talk about conviction, try laying your head down at night knowing that you're a pastor and you're cheating on your wife. Lots of sleepless nights. But yeah, I kept running. I kept running. Till finally I had nowhere else to run. And I wish I could tell you that I learned that lesson quickly and I didn't. But I do know that the grace of God is an incredible thing. And today, if you're running from God, he loves you. If you're his child, he hasn't given up on you. He wants to restore that relationship with you. If you would, just bow your heads for a moment in an attitude of prayer. And today, this passage is an incredible passage of the forgiveness of God in our life. And for some of you, you may never have experienced that forgiveness. For some of you, this might be your first time in a church service. This might be your hundredth time, but Jesus loves you, and he gave his life for you so that you wouldn't have to pay the price for your sin. They have... There's never been a time in your life when you accepted that gift of salvation. Could I encourage you to do that today? If that's your desire, you could say something like this. Say, God, I confess my sins to you. And Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you died and rose again for me. And today I lower my pride And the best I know how I put my faith and my trust in you and only you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me. Lord, we thank you for those that today made the decision to put their faith in Christ. God, I ask that they would understand the grace that you have for them and the forgiveness that you extend to them. Lord, I ask for those of us that have given our life to you, but maybe we're running from the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life, that today we would confess that sin to you. Lord, today that we'd quit running from you and we run towards you. That we'd see the forgiveness that you offer and the love that you have for us and the grace that you want to extend to us. Well, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So if we could, let's give it up for those that have given their life to Christ today. If today you put your faith and trust in Christ, we would love an opportunity to talk to you. We think that moving together is better. And so you can let us know as you leave. You can fill out that green card. You can text the word City" 94000 The reason is, is we want to help you. We want to answer any questions that you have. We want to pray with you. But man, that's the greatest decision that you could ever make.